Man, it, we have, we're doing the exact same worship service we did 8, 30, and 11. And, and man, to be able to sing again, especially that middle section. And, and, and when, when we went a cappella in the Agnus Dei, you could feel it, couldn't you? Oh my gosh, it was such a beautiful thing. And I'm, and I'm getting choked up by that. And I, just, I love Covenant Church people because we go there when we worship and it happens. And then I walk up here and, and, and somebody put on the, on the podium here a uh, foil chocolate wrapped bunny rabbit. <laughs> that is so awesome. I'll put that in my pocket for later. <laughs> Which is a great reminder because for a lot of us, Easter is a lot of things. Like my family, we're, we're going to brunch after worship. We've got 1230 reservations and, and so, so I can preach long if I want because my lunch isn't until 1230. Uh, and, and, and you all have different dinner plans, lunch plans, whatever. We do that around Easter on Easter Day. Um, we also, there's bunnies, I just put one in my pocket. There's bunnies and there's, and there's all kinds of candy. And I mean, who, who doesn't love peeps, right? Who doesn't love peeps on Easter? There's bunnies and there's chocolate and there's jelly beans and there's all kinds of great food and feasting. And, th- and that stuff's important, that stuff's important, that stuff's fun, but that stuff is secondary and we know that, right? That stuff is secondary to what we're doing right here, what we've done right here, right now. And so we're going to look at God's Word. Um, Every scripture passage will be up on the screen. Um, We're going to look at God's Word this morning. And and Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 is is what sets the table for our Easter celebration, more than brunch and and peeps and chocolate and ducks and all that good stuff. So let's look at Ephesians 3, 17. This is what Paul says. "So So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so what we're doing here and what Paul draws us into What we're going to be doing this morning is we are going to try to comprehend, we are going to try to understand the fullness of the depth of God's love in Jesus Christ. And we know that's a tall order, to fully understand what Jesus' death and resurrection means for us. That's a really tall order. But we also know that with God, all things are possible. So we're going to understand it this morning. First thing we're going to do is we're going to look at four keys to understanding the depth of the love Jesus Christ has for us. Those four keys are going to be the foundation upon which we are then going to quickly look at the three essential truths about Jesus' love for us. But the first key to understanding what Paul is saying here in Ephesians is this. It is the costliness of Jesus' love, the costliness of his love. Ephesians 5.2 says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, Jesus Christ's love for us was so strong 
that he gave up his life on the cross for us. Jesus didn't just give up some conveniences. He just didn't make a few small sacrifices, but he gave his life. And it wasn't a death quick and painless, but Jesus willingly gave up his life in the most humiliating and painful way. That's why from the cross, if you remember the story, from the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that was an expression of the depth and the pain that Christ was feeling and the severity, the absoluteness of his separation from God. Because we know from the Bible, what is hell? Hell is separation from God. And so when our sin was poured onto Christ, the sinless one, he felt the full weight of the darkness of our sin. And so he felt fully separated from God. That's the death. That's the death he endured for us, the costliness of his love. The second key is how little we deserved this costly sacrifice. How little we deserved this costly sacrifice. Here's what Paul says in Romans 5. You talk about our broken nature, this is it. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Paul prefaces that with, uh, with the observation that, that Christ died for the ungodly, and that's us. That's us in our brokenness. That's us in our, in our sin. That's us in our separation at times from each other and our separation from, from God. And so we can't skim over that word ungodly too lightly because that is us, that describes us, that defines us, that is our condition. Here's what Romans does, it cuts to the heart. Paul says in Romans 1.18, we just sang about it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, Christ took our sin upon himself. He felt the full wrath, God's full wrath over our sin. And Christ did that and he did that willingly. Now listen, when we think about somebody dying for us, let's look at our own lives. I look at my life. I would, in a moment, without batting an eye, I would die for my wife if I had to. Without an ounce of hesitation, I would die for my two sons if I had to. Without thinking twice about it, I would die for my granddaughters if I had to. But I'm telling you right here and right now, and I want you to be honest in your minds as you reflect on this, right now, I would not die for any of you, okay? Are you all right with that? Are you all right? I would not die for any of you, and I bet none of you would die for me. And please, 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 don't try to do that whole spiritual one-upmanship and say, well, Pastor, I'd die for you. No, you wouldn't. None of us would die for each other. We would die for those whom we love and care about deeply. 
but not for you and not for me. And see, I, I'm a sinner, and I would do that. I'm a sinner, and I would do that. My wife is a sinner, and I would die for her. My sons are sinners, and I would die for them. My granddaughters are sinners, and I would die for them. And I, I couldn't live with myself if I wouldn't do that. For them, yes. For anybody else? See, so in the light of our ungodliness, Jesus' love for us is deeper than any ordinary human love. We were ungodly. We were sinful. And we were enemies of God. And Jesus Christ gave himself up for us. The third way to see the depth of Christ's love for us is in the lavish benefits he gives to us. We see it in the lavish benefits he gives to us. Look at 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Here's, here's what that means. There's a, there's a, there's a, a trajectory to all of this. This is, this is going someplace, what, what 1 John is saying. There is a progression here. God loved us so much, he was not satisfied with merely forgiving us. He desired more. You see, there's a huge difference, isn't there, between saying I forgive you and doing what 1 John 3.1 celebrates. See, somebody can wrong you. Somebody can wrong me. And it can be very hurtful. And, and we are compelled as followers of Christ to be forgiving. And so when somebody wrongs us, we are compelled to forgive. But that doesn't mean we are not compelled to stay in relationship with them. And I think you know what I'm talking about. I think there have been people in your life, maybe there are people in your life right now, who have wronged you, who have been very hurtful to you, and you have forgiven them, but you really, really want to keep them at arm's length from now on. That's normal and that's natural. And that makes sense in certain situations. But see, in Christ, God penetrates to the core of our sinful nature. And by his spirit, he causes us to be born again as his own children. And so we need, we need to understand the fullness of that. Instead of simply stopping at, I forgive you, God gives us something of his own character. He gives us something of his own character. And he invites us into his family. And so we have a likeness to his son. And so because of that likeness, we have an inheritance. And so what is for Christ is also for us. As heirs of Christ, we get what Jesus gets. And what did we just sing about? We sang about the empty tomb. Here's a description of the lavish benefits God gives to us. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's depth of God's love for us is seen in the lavishness 
of that gift. The fourth key to understand the depth of Jesus' love for us is Jesus is not forced to love us, but it is his joy to love us. Jesus is not forced to love us. It is his joy to love us. See, we, we see on this beautiful Easter morning, wasn't it just beautiful with the sun shining through the windows when the drapes were pulled? Yesterday was so gloomy and so cold and so rainy, and God set this up so wonderful for us today. It's a beautiful Easter morning, and we have already seen the depth of Christ's love and the pain it costs and, and how little we deserve it and how lavish the gifts that he gives to us, and now we see it in how free his love is. In other words, when somebody does something good or kind or nice to you, why they are doing it is just as important as what they are doing. When somebody does something good or nice to you or for you, their motivation for doing it is really important, isn't it? Really important. Do you remember back when you were a kid, or maybe think about your kids right now, but it might be more fun to remember back when you were a kid. And, and remember when, when and, and usually it happened with a sibling, because siblings are just the worst at times. So it sometimes happened with a sibling. But remember when you were a kid and you did something and you were forced to apologize to your sibling or to somebody. Remember that? And you didn't want to apologize. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember how you would apologize when you were forced to apologize? How would you show me how you would apologize? Tell me. Say it. Yeah. Boy, you're more enthusiastic than I thought you'd be about apologizing. Because usually it's like, uh, Sorry. I'm sorry you're such a jerk. I'm sorry. I mean, that's how we would do it, right? When there's a, where from the heart, right? When there's a threat hanging over your head, you had to apologize, but, but it wasn't from the heart, was it? Here's what that means. When, when somebody does something kind for you, would you rather have them do it begrudgingly or, be, or kindly? because they wanted to. You always feel more loved when it's done from the heart. The, the, the Bible says anything done under compulsion is far, far, far below loving. The result is that, that my joy in doing something loving for you is what makes it loving. I have great joy in doing something kind for you. It brings joy. When, when my wife, this is one of the reasons I die for her, so she can continue making her delicious cookies for other people. My wife makes delicious chocolate chip cookies. And, and, and do you think when she sees them disappearing as rapidly as they disappear, do you think that brings her joy? Absolutely it does. One of the reasons she does that, it's a gift of hers. And one of the reasons she does that is because we enjoy it so much. So our enjoyment of her gift brings her joy as well. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to get joy from when you do something good or kind for others. The logic is so pure and simple. 
the more willing and glad and free your love is for others, especially if it's costly, the more amazing it is. And so it was with Jesus. He saw the depth of his love for us. He saw the freedom in it, the willingness of it, the eagerness of it, the gladness of it. You see, Jesus was not unwilling to go to the cross. He willingly, where was his joy? His joy was in willingly going to the cross to the point of feeling forsaken by God. Jesus Christ loved us with all of his heart. There was not some cosmic force pressing him to do something he didn't want to do. And here is the joy which is Easter. The same freedom with which Jesus loved us on the cross is the same freedom with which he rose from the dead. John 10, 17 puts it this way. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I want you to hear these words. They are so simple yet so profound. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So we have given the four compelling reasons for God's love for us, and now we're going to look at three essential truths from this beautiful passage built on those reasons. First essential truth is the Father loves the Son for loving us. The Father delights in the Son because of his willingness to lay his life down and defeat death for us. And there is greatness and there is beauty and there is perfection in what the Son did for us on the cross. And so Jesus rightfully says, the Father loves me. The Father loves what his Son is doing because I lay down my life. The second essential truth is Jesus freely loves us. No one forced Jesus to the cross. No one compelled Jesus to do this. Pilate didn't kill Jesus. Judas' betrayal did not take Jesus' life. The high priest did not take Jesus' life. The mob shouting crucify, crucify did not take Jesus' life. The soldiers who nailed Jesus' hands and feet to the cross did not, none of them, none of them took Jesus' life. What Jesus is saying is he was not forced to go to the cross. He chooses the cross. He chose this. He chose us. He embraced the cross. The Father, listen, the beauty of this is the Father and the Son, they orchestrated the cross because of their love for us. The love of Christ is freely given. 
the third essential truth. Jesus stresses the freedom of his love so we could see the joy in it. See, how, how deep and meaningful would that death be if he did not choose it willingly? What do we, what do we say? And we kind of looked at it with the apology example. But what do, what do, what do, what do we say when, when it appears someone's heart really isn't into something? Like they, they do something for you. But man, it just, it just doesn't seem like they're all in with the heart there. And what do we say? We say you're only doing this because you have to. Oh, you're only doing it because you have to. Jesus died for us because he loves us. In fact, he rejoiced in doing his redeeming work for us. He was, he was sustained through the pain on the cross because he knew it would lead to our redemption. Jesus knew that in his death, he was bringing together a happy, holy, praising people. And see, I want you to just take a moment and savor that truth. I want you to understand this is exactly what Jesus is saying in John 10. I want you to savor that truth because, because what that means what that means is when Jesus was dying on the cross, he knew that we would be here worshiping and praising God the Father on Easter morning. Do you hear that? Jesus knew on the cross that God was creating for himself a happy, holy, praising people. And Jesus knew that those whom he called would be gathered on Easter morning, 2,000 years later, worshiping. I just want you to savor that truth. Thank you. Let's all say amen together. Amen, amen. amen. So what does this all have to do with Easter then? Verse 18 makes a connection. Again, Jesus says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What is, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying he has authority from inside death as a dead man to take life back again. Do you hear it? See, what is, what is hard, and we know the obvious answer, right? What is harder to control? Is it harder to control your life or to give yourself life back once you have died? No one has done that but Christ. And Jesus says, that is what I am doing. Jesus takes his life back again from the dead. He controlled when he went into the grave. It was his decision. Jesus controlled when he went into the grave and he controlled when he came out of the grave. Jesus truly was able to lay his life down and then take it up again. So here's the point. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is given to us as the confirmation that he was free in laying down his life and so the resurrection is Christ's testimony to the freedom of his love. And here's what Easter means. Easter means three simple words. Easter means I mean it. 
everything. Easter is the exclamation point on everything Jesus taught, everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did by laying down his life and then taking it up again. It is an exclamation point on the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that he chose to die for us, he chose to live again, and we see how much the Father loves us. In the end, love changes everything. In the end, Easter shows us how much Jesus loves us. See, nobody forced Jesus to love us. Nobody forced Jesus to die for us. It was all his choice. It was all his wonderful, beautiful, joyous choice. And now, Jesus Christ is alive to spend eternity with us forever and ever. So come now. Come to Jesus, all you sinners who need a savior. Won't you please stand? We're gonna say a short prayer together before we sing. Let us pray together. Jesus Christ forgives us and accepts us and loves us with all his heart forevermore. Amen. Visit us on the web at tecumsehcove.org. That's T-E-C-U-M-S-E-H-C-O-V-E dot O-R-G.